0: made that accessible through our website as well. You can just go to fbcchickashay.org slash connect, and there you'll find that very same form that you can fill out to let us know that you're worshiping with us today. It's also a great way that you can share a prayer request with us, or even if you just want to get connected, uh, there's perhaps a ministry need that you have of some sort, you can share that, and we will be able to follow up with you and get connected with you. Uh, No doubt when you came in this morning, for those who are here in the room, you you noticed that things are a little bit different. Let me explain a little bit of why we have done that. It's uh, somewhat obvious that the reason we've done that is just in order to be able to spread out and keep a little bit of distance between everybody today. Because over the last several weeks, the number of positive cases for COVID-19 in Chickasha has grown exponentially. Uh, and, And several weeks ago, we rolled out what we called our risk phase response plan that according to... How the state uh, manages or or determines the the level of risk, which they do on a county by county basis using a color coded system, that we would sort of adjust some of our uh, our operations accordingly. And so, this past week, due to the increase in number of cases here in Grady County and in Chickasha in particular, our our risk level was elevated from yellow to orange. In fact, from a week ago to this past Friday, because they released this, the State Department of Health releases this color-coded system along with a number every Friday. Our rate of positive cases in Chickasha, uh, or Grady County, I should say, tripled in the last week. Around the time of Labor Day, we had in Chickasha fewer than 20 active cases, positive cases of COVID-19. And as of yesterday, we had 164 in Chickasha. So the numbers have, have increased significantly, which is why we have sort of responded in kind. We're, we're hopeful that those numbers will come back down just as quickly as they have gone up and we can go back into yellow, back into a relaxed set of operations. But in the meantime, we thank you for uh, working with us as we do this. In particular, the reason that we taped off every other pew is we wanted to make it possible for you to remove your mask once you were seated, but it also is best that you keep, that we help keep people spread out. And so that hints the two things together, right? So if you feel that comfortable doing that, you're able to do that uh, where you pull your mask down or remove it or whatever while you're in this space where you're, where you're set in place and, and, and able to kind of keep some distance from others that haven't been in your circle of quarantine, all right? So a little bit of explanation about where we are, what we're doing. We're just going to roll with it and keep praying that the whole thing will be done soon, be gone soon, and we can go back to life as we prefer it, no doubt, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're, we're seeing here that... We, are, we walk by faith, that faith for us is a life-defining reality. It's a life-defining sort of thing. We saw last week in the passage that we studied in the verses just prior to this, Paul writes that we walk by faith, and you could finish that phrase, no doubt, and not by sight, that we don't, we don't just walk by what we see and what we observe, but we trust the Lord and we live by faith. And so as we walk by faith, really that's where we pick up today in this part of the text. As we walk by faith, as we follow the Lord's leadership, as we continue to take those steps forward by faith, then we live in such a way that, that our lives are lived for the glory of Christ. We saw that last week. And even further, we're going to see today how the love of Christ helps shape that. In fact... As we think about the love of Christ, I want you to think of the love of Christ as being a truly a life-defining, a a life-altering type of reality, right? We all have those moments in life that are sort of what we would refer to as the life-defining moments. We have those moments in life, those things that happen to us that it seems like in a moment through a series of events or circumstances, or maybe it's a commitment that we make, maybe it's something that's even beyond our control, that our lives are changed forever. There are a number of those moments in my own life, but one of one that that I thought of, in fact, really the first moment that came to my mind was August the 12th, 2000. August the 12th, 2000 was the day that Rayleigh and I got married. We just last month celebrated our 20th wedding anniversary. And there is no doubt that that day was a life-changing, life-defining kind of moment for me personally, right? I mean, literally that was the day that that was the day that my life changed in, in so many profound uh, ways for the better, I assure you. I don't know about that Rayleigh could say the same, but my life got a lot better that day. It may, may not be the same for her, but no doubt that was a life-defining moment for me. And really, if I look back in my life, my life is full of those kinds of moments. My life is full of those, those, those marks, those points along the way when I can say, yeah, that." Changed me. That has shaped me. Well, our faith in Christ is one of those life defining realities for us. It's one of those things that ought to transform not only who we are and how we see ourselves, but everything else about our lives adjusts or, or conforms to that life defining decision. And it's because of that faith, and it's because of the decision to walk in that faith that we can say, as we're gonna read even in just a few minutes in verse 14, that the love of Christ controls us, that it shapes us, it, 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 it forms us maybe is a good way to, to understand that. And so that's really where we're going this morning. We're gonna talk about how that love of Christ molds us, shapes, controls our lives. Let's read together 2 Corinthians chapter five, beginning in verse 11. We're gonna read through verse 15 together this morning. He writes, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it's known also to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer to those who boast outward appearance, about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. And if we are in our right mind, it's for you, for the love of Christ controls us. Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Now, if you were to look at the, the, the teaching in this particular text, if you were to look at, what, okay, what is the, the heart of? Of what, of, of what the author, of what Paul is saying here to this church. And, and we understand through the work of the Holy Spirit, the inspirational Holy Spirit it's, it continues to speak authoritatively to us today. Really, verse 15 is, is it, right? The verse fifteen gives us; it, it sort of is the it's the destination; it's where we're going; it's 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 what this passage is talking about. That Christ died for us, and so because He died for us, we might no longer live for ourselves but for Him, who for our sake died and was raised. But what is what does that look like practically in our lives? That we would no longer live for ourselves, but that we would live for Jesus who loved us and died for us. Well, it's that love of Christ that really, that helps us understand this. It's that love of Christ that helps define us. In fact... In many ways, the love of Christ is the key, I feel, that will help us unlock what this passage is teaching us today. And so you'll notice on the back of your bulletin, if you got one of those when you came in this morning and there's a place to follow along, and, and, and if you're joining us online, you'll notice as we put the points to the message up and, and kind of work our way through these as we go through them, that the love of Christ really is, is what we're talking about. But I want to understand, and in fact, I want to talk before we dive in and look specifically at what we see about the love of Christ. I wanna talk about those words in this text, the love of Christ, okay? And I'm gonna go deep for just a minute. I'm gonna get real technical with you for just a minute as we talk about this. But there's a reason, there's a purpose for that. I think understanding this technical language in the way that we're gonna talk about it actually really helps us understand what the text is saying. So in verse 14, we see these words, the love of Christ. For the love of Christ controls us, it says in verse 14. Those words, the love of Christ, appear in the genitive case. Okay, so the words love of Christ are in the genitive case. Now, here's what that means, okay? When words appear in the genitive case, usually that means that the a genitive is a word that is used to describe another word or oftentimes a noun that's used to describe another noun. Or in this case, it's actually an, a noun that's used to describe a verbal because the word love is like a verb that's being used here in, in a noun sense. So you've got... You've got one word describing another. It shows a relationship that exists between those words. Oftentimes, the genitive case is used to demonstrate. Possession. So when we talk about when we talk about some form of possessive case, we're usually speaking in the genitive case. Hang with me, okay? I know this is like I'm I'm taking you back to eighth grade grammar, but I I promise this is gonna this is gonna produce something good for us that helps us understand this in a moment, okay? So we've got the genitive case here with these two words and the relationship that exists between them: love of Christ. But in the Greek language, those words are a little bit oh the way that we would translate that let me say is a little bit uncertain and what i mean is is this is this intended to be an objective genitive or a subjective genitive so a subjective genitive we would we would translate from the Greek into the English this way. We would say the love that Christ has for us. That would be the subjective genitive. The objective genitive would be where we would say the love that we have for Christ. So which one is the passage talking about here? Which one specifically is Paul writing about? Is he writing about the love that Jesus has for us? Or is he talking about the love that we have for Jesus? Now, I want you to Ask yourself that question as we look at those words again. For the love of Christ controls us. Okay, well, is it the love that we have for Jesus that controls us? Or is it the love that Christ has for us that controls us? Most English translations, many of our English translations actually translate this using the subjective genitive. And so in a lot of English translations, actually those words appear as Christ's love. Christ's love, there's that possessive that we see with the genitive case. Christ's love controls us. When I was studying uh, New Testament Greek years ago, the text that I studied was written by a man named Daniel Wallace. And uh, it was called Exploring Greek Beyond the Basics was the name of my Greek Textbook, my New Testament Greek textbook. And even as I was learning New Testament Greek years ago and studying this in seminary, this passage was actually used to demonstrate a special case that is referred to as the plenary, uh, excuse me, the plenary genitive. The plenary genitive, meaning that actually We can rightly understand this as either subjective or objective, or maybe in some sense, we ought to understand it as having a fuller explanation. Essentially what plenary means is all, that it, it actually means sort of both. That Paul is talking both about the love of Christ, the love that Christ has for us, and he's talking about the love of Christ and saying the love that we have for Jesus. So both the love that Jesus has for you and the love that you have for Jesus controls you. It shapes your life. It shapes your reality. Or we could say it this way, that Christ's love for us is the reason for our love for Jesus. So... Because Jesus loves you, and now in turn, because Christ has reached out in love to you and you love Jesus, that controls us, it compels us, it changes us. And that's the way we ought to understand this this morning. So let's come up for air for just a minute and think about that. So w- what he's saying is because Jesus loves you and because of your faith, because you love Jesus, now then that love becomes a life-defining reality that controls us, that shapes us, that molds us, that, that really changes who we are. The love that Jesus has for you and by faith in him, the love that you have for him. And that's what I want us to see as we talk about the love of Christ this morning. It's it's the love that we have in him because, as John writes in 1 John chapter 4, because he first loved us. And so we understand that it's the love of Jesus that is life-changing in so many ways. And so the first thing we see in the text in particular is that the love of Christ convicts our conscience. It convicts our conscience. Verse 11, he writes... What we are is known to God, and I hope is known also to your conscience. He's saying what we are, he might well be saying who we are, because he's talking here about people who walk by faith, right? What we are as believers in Jesus, as people whose lives are are dictated by that decision to trust Christ, to know him by faith, or as he's gonna go on to describe in the coming verses that we'll actually study next week, as ambassadors for Jesus, as representatives for Jesus in this world, the love that we have for Jesus and the love that Jesus has for us, it, it convicts our conscience, meaning that it, literally from the inside out it it has this power to shape us to mold us to transform us now we understand technically if we're going to if we're going to describe this using theologically or doctrinally specific language we understand that it is the work of the holy spirit to bring conviction to our hearts john chapter 16 Verse 7 and 8, Jesus tells his disciples that I'm going to go away because unless I go, I cannot send the helper. But when I go, I will send the helper to you and he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. That's what Jesus says to the disciples, that it's the work of the Holy Spirit. But the reason that we have the Holy Spirit again is because of the love of Christ. Because Christ loved us because he gave himself for us. As it says in verse 15... For, for our sake, he died and was raised, because Jesus loved us enough to go to the cross and conquer sin and death, and because he was resurrected from the dead and ascended to the Father, and furthermore, because he sent the Holy Spirit to be his agent on this world, dwelling in us by faith, so that it says in Galatians chapter two verse twenty that that we have we have god 's holy Spirit that Christ is alive in us. It's because of this that we, can, that we can be transformed, that we can be made new. And, and that Holy Spirit works to convict our conscience. He works on us from the inside out. He's working to shape us, to convict us of sin, to convict us of those things in our lives that need to change. I often say when I'm talking to people about about that conviction and dealing with conviction, that it is what is most important is that we would know Jesus by faith and we would learn to listen and obey the voice of the Holy Spirit. See, when I stand before you week to week, I, I, I do my best to preach the gospel to you, to preach Christ to you, to preach the faith in Christ and not to just get up and say, well, the Bible says you ought to do this and you ought to not do that. Now, to be clear, Our faith in Christ dictates the way that we live. It dictates the things that we do. But let's not make the Bible into a a, a rule book of do's and don'ts. Instead, let's let the Bible lead us by faith to the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Because if Jesus has your heart, then he's going to change your behavior. He's going to work to convict you and convict your conscience. And, and those things that ought to change and ought to be different about you, in time they will be because frankly, the Holy Spirit is a better Holy Spirit than I could be or anyone else could be. We don't have to try to say, well, here's the rules, here's the do's and don'ts and how you are. If we just would exalt Jesus and if we would do our best to encourage each other and push each other to know Jesus and walk by faith with Jesus, then he's gonna work on us from the inside out. His Holy Spirit is going to convict us and change us. We need to learn to look to him, to listen to that voice of conviction. So we see that the love of Christ convicts our conscience. He's working on us, refining us. Praise God that he's not finished with us. And, and although sometimes the conviction that we receive, that conviction of the Holy Spirit, although sometimes it's, it troubles us, although sometimes, quite frankly, it's just downright hard, the way that it seems like God is working on us, praise God that he loves us enough to take us as we are, but he also loves us too much to leave us that way, that he's gonna work on us. He's gonna mold and shape us as we, as we listen to that voice of conviction. But not only do we see that the love of Christ convicts our conscience in this passage, we see the love of Christ commends our cause, commends our cause. Keep looking downward. And and he says in the next, the very next verse, really, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance. So this is what he's saying. We're not, we're not bragging about ourselves. We're not saying that that we live according to faith and that we walk by faith so that you would look at us and say, oh, you're a big deal. No, no, no. The point is that you would see how we are walking. You would see our life of faith. You would see the example and that ultimately it would point you to Jesus. It wouldn't point us to boast about outward appearance, which is to say that it's not about, it's not about just playing the game. It's not about just doing all the right things. It's not about, uh, it's not about just conforming our behavior to a set of religious rules. Instead, it's about truly walking by faith so that our boasting is in Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us and how he loves us and how he's transforming us so that our life, even as we saw, we described it last week as our life's work, might be about pointing others to Jesus, pointing the way to Jesus. The love of Christ commends our cause. The love of Christ ultimately is, is what we're all about. What, what do I mean when I, when I say commends? What does he really mean when he says commends here? Well, think of the word recommend, right? Think about when you recommend something; you are recommending that thing. When you recommend something, you're saying you're saying to someone else, "Oh, I recommend this. I would suggest this. I think this is a good idea." You you are commending the thing to them again, as it were. That's literally what the word means. So, in in some sense, you could say. We, it, it would make sense to us at least the way we use the word recommend it would It would make sense to us then on some level to say okay we well, 're recommending this cause of Christ, or we 're pointing people toward the cause of christ that 's the point it 's not about my life it's not about it 's not about pointing people toward me it 's about pointing people toward the cause of Christ so that we don 't boast in the outward appearance we don't We don't boast about the things that 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 we that we do for show or instead we we boast about matters of the heart. Jesus has my heart and he's transformed me and he's changing me. May my life's work be to point other people to Jesus, to commend his cause, the cause of Christ. And then thirdly, we see in this passage that the love of Christ controls our choices. Controls our choices. Now, I I use the word control here because that's the word that Paul uses in verse 14, where he says, quite literally, the love of Christ controls us. But I really think that the heart of what he's talking about here is compels us, not in a robotic sense, not in a sense that not in a sense that we lose our, our any any in any ability of choice or that that we have no say in the matter. But in the sense that the love of Christ stirs us, the love of Christ, uh, it, 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 it's working inside of us, compelling us, it's driving us. I think that's a good way to understand that motivating us to live for Jesus, that we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him. No longer is my life about boasting about the outward appearance. No longer am I supposed to be trying to make other people think that I'm special or that I'm any big deal. No, instead we put all those games behind and we try to do everything we can to point others to Jesus. The love of Christ controls our choices so that, So that we would would live in a way that our life becomes that living witness. We would live in such a way that our testimony, that our story, that our example is pointing other people toward faith in Jesus. As I said, that's at the beginning. That's the destination really of this passage, right? He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. That we would live for Jesus. What does it look like to live for Jesus? Well, he actually gives us that in this passage as well. It really could be in, in some way uh, uh, almost a, a second sermon in and of itself, a second outline of sorts that we see laid against the, the, the outline that we've just used. The love of Christ convicts our conscience, commends our cause, controls our choices. But not only that, how then? How? Do we live for Jesus? Well, first of all, by persuasion. By persuasion. That we try to live for Jesus and no longer for ourselves, but for him by persuasion. Meaning that we would use... We would try to use all of our resources, all the, all the energy, everything we have to persuade others to follow Christ. Look back at verse 11. He says, we persuade others. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. By persuasion, meaning that we would, we would try to persuade or convince others. So we live for Jesus by trying to persuade others. Now, there's two ways, really, that you can persuade others. One we can persuade others with the words that we speak, right? You think of, when you think of the things that you say, you can be persuasive. A part of being persuasive is with the things that you say, the words that you say. And in the in the bigger sense, we often think of this in theological terms along the discipline of apologetics, which apologetics is just a fancy word of saying arguments in, in favor of, right? When we're talking about arguments in faith of, or in favor of faith or in favor of Christ. We, we try to persuade others by speaking convincingly about the love of Christ, by bearing witness. But there's a second way, and that's really how we live. It's not just what we say, it's how we live. And it's important that we understand the power of both of these forms of persuasion, because if all we ever do is say the right words, but it's not matched by the example of our lives, then it's empty. And yet, if all we ever do is live a certain way, but we never say those words of persuasion, if all we do is try to just live and be good, but we never speak with persuasive powers of of, 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 of boldness, of conviction, then really all we've done is set a good moral example. It, It really takes both together. Both how we live and what we say, working in concert together to persuade others to follow Christ. So we no longer live for ourselves, but we live for Jesus. How? By trying to persuade others to follow Christ. Not just by persuasion, by passion. Look at verse 13. If we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're in our right mind, it's for you. He's talking there about it may seem crazy to others, the way that we live, the, the boldness, the conviction, the, the, the way that we live so that our lives are spent for Jesus, that we've abandoned everything in order that we might follow Christ. We've surrendered everything in order that we might make Jesus known to you. Others may look at that and think, you're crazy. You've gone mad. And what he's saying is, well, that if we're mad, it's for Jesus' sake. It's, it's for so that others may know Jesus. It's, it, he's talking about passion, He's talking about a passion here, that we live with passion for Jesus. I'm convinced that what, what our world needs, what the people around you need, is they need to see a passionate example for Christ lived out in you. Is there a passion, is there a fire burning inside of you do you have that passion to live for Jesus that others would say, she's out of her mind. She's crazy. Who lives that way? Who does that? Do you have that passion? When we live for the love of Christ, we live with passion. And then finally, with purpose. Verse 14, we have concluded this That one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. That's our purpose. That we would no longer live for ourselves, but for him. But for him. We have concluded. I have decided that my life will be spent to point the way to Jesus. I have determined that my life's energy and my resources and my work and all that I have will be used to try to persuade others passionately to live with purpose the purpose of Christ, the cause of Christ. Again, and so the love of Christ points us to Jesus that we would not just live for ourselves, but that we would live for Him with persuasion, with passion, with purpose. And so when we read that and we, and we, and we think that, we, we begin to dwell on that truth. Of course, we have to reflect personally. We have to look inward and say, is that true of me? Do, do I see myself in this passage? Do I see in my own life, in my own example, do I see that I am living with passion for Jesus, that I'm trying to persuade others? Who in my life, who in my world, am I actively trying to persuade to the faith? Who am I trying to lead to Jesus? How am I living with passion, with purpose, that my life would no longer be lived for me, but for him who died and was raised again for my sake? In a moment, we're gonna move into a time of, reflection, response. And as we reflect on this passage, as we reflect on this truth today, I wonder, is the Holy Spirit convicting you? We spoke of the conviction that comes, that the love of Christ through the conviction of the Spirit convicts us. Is, is he working on you today? Is he convicting you? Is there an area of your life where the Lord is saying, I want you to live with, passion, I want you to persuade others. Maybe it's a specific relationship that you have with someone else. And Jesus is stirring your heart that this is a person that I want you to influence. This is a person that I want you to persuade. Or maybe the conviction that you sense this morning is that conviction that comes that through the, again, through the work of the Holy Spirit, that conviction that comes It says that For you, it begins with surrendering your life to Jesus. Has there ever been that moment by faith when you've trusted him as Lord and Savior, when you've surrendered your life to him? Maybe for you, responding to that conviction is that today would be the day that you trust Jesus by faith. As we sing the song in a moment and as we enter into this time of response, I wanna encourage you that whatever way God is speaking to you, whatever way he's working to convict you, to lead you, that you would respond in faith to him. And so when we stand and we sing that song, our staff will be here at the front. Our altars will be open if you wanna come and just make this a place of prayer and commitment before the Lord today. Or if you wanna come and speak with us about however God is working, whatever he's saying, whatever he's speaking to you, would you make this the day that you surrender fully to him? No longer to live for yourself, but for him who loved you, who died and was resurrected from the dead for your sake. And if today you recognize that you need to surrender your life to Jesus, there's never been that moment when you responded to him by faith. And would you come and visit with our staff and and let us walk you through a simple prayer of of faith where you would say, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I admit my sin. I believe that you have the power to forgive my sin. Would you come in my life now and save me? Would you make this the day that you surrender, no longer to live for yourself, but for Jesus and his love? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you that you did love us and you did give yourself for us. You paid the price. You laid down your life as the ultimate sacrifice that we may no longer live for ourselves, but for you. And now as we seek to live for you, Jesus, would you work in our lives? Would you move in our hearts? Bring your conviction of sin, lead us into a right relationship with you. Stir our hearts and our affections so that we desire to pursue you, to live with passion, to persuade others to follow you as well, Lord. We recognize your love for us. And now, Lord, we want to respond, demonstrating our love for you. So would, would you move in us as we do that? We pray this in your name. Amen. As we stand together to sing this song, Again, our staff will be here at the front, our altars are open, and we encourage you today as the Lord is speaking to you and he's moving in your heart that you would respond to him now in this moment.